Good morning, Narnia. I'm just kidding. Good morning, Rogers Park. It's a beautiful day. I think so. We don't have this in the Philippines, and so I love it. Not too much, but... <laughs> hey, we've been uh, here for a year now in Chicago, and uh, we praise the Lord for uh, sustaining us and providing for us and uh, being with us. By the way, my name is Glem. I am also a church planting partner of Park Community Church, serving with uh, Shine and Phil and Essie and Zore and others uh, in West Rogers Park. So it's been a year and uh, lots of stories of triumph. Uh, we now gather in two homes on Sundays. So we now have Sunday 4 and Sunday 5. And uh, also on Tuesday nights, uh, we also have a gathering. And so the, the work is growing. We're meeting more and more new people from the nations. And uh, the Lord is working. Um, I'm very thankful. But also there are a lot of uh, trials along the way, especially when we moved here last year. And uh, I was asking myself, what am I doing here? Uh, why am I bringing my family here? Why don't we just go home to the Philippines? Life is easier there. No snow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's paradise there despite of some problems in the country. Uh, so there were doubts in my heart, in my mind, and uh, I'm not just making the decision for myself with my wife, Aimee, but also we're, we're, we're dragging our kids to this. And so the questions that I ask myself, believe it or not, are these. Is God real? Is God real? Uh, is is uh, heaven real? Really? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? And uh, if there is a heaven and a hell, is Jesus the only way to salvation? And these are very important questions. And um, I've been a Christian for more than 30 years now. I was uh, delivered from drug addiction, uh, I believe, by the Lord. Amen? I confess it's by the Lord. And uh, because there was nothing that could help me. There was nothing that could uh, set me free from the slavery of sin and drug addiction. And so in 1988, I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, if you can still fix my life and fix my brain because I was going insane, I said, uh, well, you can have it and you can use me. I'm yours. But if you're real, please do it. And uh, he did it. And uh, but and that. And then I've been serving the Lord, preaching in the university, sharing the gospel, and uh, making disciples, uh, training small group leaders, and, and planting small groups in the university. And that's how I met my wife. And, um, and then we became church planters. So it's been decades of serving the Lord. But these questions have always been there from time to time. Not always, but from time to time, especially when I was making major decisions in the ministry. I'm a computer engineer. I have a degree in computer engineering. In, in, from 1993 to 1998, I worked as a computer engineer in the Silicon Valley, working for, for companies like Cisco, 3Com. So I left all that, Adobe, Apple, and, uh, and I left all that because I believed that God was calling me to preach 
and to plant churches and to pastor churches in southern Philippines. And so in 98, I moved as a single person to the southern Philippines and then got married. So when I was just making decisions for myself, it was quite easy, you know. Uh, it's just me. If uh, I'm taking the wrong turn, then I'm going to suffer the consequences. But when you have a family, you have a wife, and you have children, then you're taking them with you. And if I make the wrong turns and the wrong decisions, or if, if I believe the wrong things, for example, if God is not real, and I've given up all those things, and we were now in southern Philippines, and I was bringing my kids to dangerous places where there are terrorists and bombings, why am I doing that if God is not real? If heaven is, if the Bible is false, why, right? And so from time to time, I was confronted with these basic questions. And I know that you are also confronted with these questions. You ask these questions, and that's normal. That's in this life, our faith will never be perfect. Amen? We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But all our life here on earth, we will struggle. And these questions are at the heart of our struggle. Is God real? Is heaven real? How about hell? And if there is a heaven and a hell and God is real, then is Jesus God and man? And is he the only way to salvation? Now, uh, it is important for us to remember when we ask these questions to ourselves that you will listen to someone you will listen to something. And the question really is, whose voice are you going to listen to and believe? Yes? So there are many voices. And that's the struggle in southern Philippines when we were planting churches and going to dangerous places as a family and our lives were in danger. 17 years we did that. And you have those questions and doubts, and you ask this, whose voice am I going to believe? Those who say there is no God? Those who say there is a God, but he's not the one that you read about in the Bible? Or there are many gods? There are voices that say there are many gods. And there are also voices that say you are God, I'm God, we are gods. So whose voice are you going to believe and listen to? Now, in those times of darkness, like in, I'm in my room, I wake up and I'm thinking of this and I'm making a big decision that will affect not just me, but my family, my children. And I always go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? So the Bible, just in these verses in John 3, 16 and 18, we read that God exists. It says, for God so loved the world. That's just one verse. And there are many verses in the Bible that say that God is real. So the Bible teaches that God is real. The Bible also teaches that heaven is real. There are those who have eternal life by faith. And hell is real. There are those who will perish. They are condemned. And Jesus is the only Son of God. He's the only way. And so now we have this voice from the Bible. The Bible tells us God is real, heaven is real, hell is real, and Jesus is the only way to salvation. But then you ask the next question, is the Bible reliable? Okay, the Bible teaches this. 
but is the Bible reliable? Does, doesn't it have errors and inconsistencies, contradictions? Is the Bible reliable? Can I trust the Bible? So perhaps, well, definitely you are like me, right? We're all the same, human beings. If you believe in Jesus, you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, because of his death and resurrection. Praise the Lord for that. But again, life on earth is a war, spiritual war. Life on earth is a struggle. And I know that like me, you are also asking these questions. And the great thing is this, there is an answer. Christianity is not a blind faith. Christianity is not a blind faith. But it is important for us to begin with a posture of humility when, I, when we ask these questions. Okay? So if you don't believe in the Bible, you don't believe in God, and you don't believe in the Bible, I encourage you to open your heart and mind to the Bible, to the Word of God. And take a posture of humility. I find that those who reject the Bible have never really studied the Bible. They haven't really looked into it. They haven't really looked into the data of what the Bible is and how it has been preserved and, and manuscripts and variants and contradictions and all that. Are, are those really significant? Is the Bible reliable or not? So that is what, what we are looking at this morning, and we will take a posture of humility. In Matthew chapter 16, uh, Peter confessed, to said to Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He said that to Jesus, right? Matthew 16. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Man did not reveal this to you, God did. And he praised God. Jesus praised God. And he said, I praise you, Father, for you hide these things from the wise and learned, but you reveal them to little children. You see that? So God reveals his truths. God reveals his truths. God reveals his gospel, his saving truths to those who are like little children. And so before we continue... We need to make sure that in our hearts and in our minds, even if you, are, you have lots and lots of questions and lots and lots of doubts, even if you're angry or just you don't like this, right? Take a moment, breathe, and say, Lord, help me to be like a little child, to look at this uh, with new eyes and be open that perhaps the Bible is reliable, now, what does the Bible say about itself? That is very important. What does the Bible say about itself? It is, it is very important for us to remember this. The Bible is self-authenticating. The Bible is self-authenticating. The Bible proves itself to be true. Because the Bible says that the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible says that the Bible is the Word of God. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says his preaching is not from human wisdom. His preaching is from the Holy Spirit. And to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, 
He said that the Thessalonians, when Paul and his band of preachers and church planters and evangelists preached the gospel to them, they received it as the Word of God. They received it as what it really is, the Word of God. And so the preaching of the apostles, the preaching that we have recorded in the Bible is the Word of God. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says that it is God-breathed. God-breathed. The Bible is breathed out by God, and it's profitable. It is important for us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 to 21. Peter reminds his readers the prophecies of the Scripture. They are not from the minds of human beings. They are not from the will of man. And he says this, Men spoke from God as they were carried along, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So this is what the Bible says about itself. It says that it is the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. And of course, we will then ask, is that true, right? And uh, we will answer that question as we move forward. Now, one of the things that proves that the Bible is really the Word of God is how it was written and what it is. So the Bible is made up of 66 books, 66 books, written by 40 different authors. And they are, there are doctors, prophets, shepherds, kings, different kinds of people, 40 different kinds of authors, human authors, for over 1,500 years. That's the Bible. On three in three different languages on three different continents. But what's amazing is this. There is just one storyline. The Bible has one message. And the message and the storyline of the Bible is this. God created the world. Man fell because of sin and had become enslaved to sin and under the judgment of God. But God provided the solution by sending His Son, His only begotten Son, Jesus, to redeem a people for Himself. To redeem and restore the people of God through Jesus Christ. That is consistent from the first verse of the Bible to the last verse. This is the one storyline and one message of the Bible. It's incredible. The coherence of the Bible is incredible. The unity of the Bible is incredible. It can only be explained by this fact that what the Bible says about itself is true. It is really the Word of God. There is, it's written by 60 different human authors, but there is one divine author that inspired the writing of the Scriptures. He carried along all those human authors for 1,500 years, and he gave us one book, one Bible that has one message. I think that's convincing that the Bible is indeed the Word of God. It's not, so Peter was right. Not just the human writers doing it, but God writing and providing his Word for us 
through them. Amen. Now, the next question is then, well then, is it reliable? Is it reliable, right? And um, to answer that question, we need to go back to uh, what they call the doctrine of divine providence or the doctrine of divine preservation. And this is very important. And this can be the takeaway, a major thing. The Bible is reliable because God is reliable. Yeah? The Bible is reliable because God is reliable. So, in the Bible, we learn about the reliability of God. God is reliable. He preserves the universe. He created the universe, and He preserves the universe. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, talks about God's covenant love. He keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. He is the faithful God. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, He is God. He made heaven, the heaven of heavens, everything that's in them, and the earth and everything that is on the earth, the seas, everything that is, and it says this, God preserves all of them. God preserves all of them. The universe exists and continues to exist and shall continue to exist because God maintains the universe. He maintains the universe. That's what the Old Testament says. What does the New Testament say? Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. Here we read that in Jesus, all things hold together. This is a tremendous claim. Jesus is God. And in Him, all things hold together. The universe, they are together. They stay together. They don't scatter and disintegrate and dissipate, get annihilated. No. God created the world and He maintains the world. He preserves the universe and He does it through Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus upholds the universe through the word of his power. That's what the Bible teaches. God is real, and he is reliable. He is faithful. And his faithfulness is covenant faithfulness. And he maintains and preserves the universe. He maintains and preserves the earth. He maintains and preserves your life. He maintains and preserves your life. And this is the good news. The same God who maintains and preserves the universe, He has been maintaining and preserving His Word. And He shall continue to maintain and preserve His Word forever and ever. Forever and ever. This is what Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8. The grass withers, the flowers fail, they fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. The word of God will stand forever because it is maintained by God who is forever faithful. 
Now, Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, the Lord Jesus Christ strengthens, confirms, and strengthens, solidifies the claim of the Old Testament. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the scriptures until everything is accomplished. Now in Matthew chapter 24, and we can read this also in Mark 13 verse 31 and Luke 21 verse 33. Jesus says this, heaven and earth will pass away, but his word, the word of Jesus will never pass away. Wow, that's a tremendous claim, right? So again, the Bible claims that it is the Word of God. The Bible claims that it is the Word of God. And one of the great evidences that the Bible is the Word of God is its incredible coherence and unity. And you have to read it. You have to read it and, and do it from cover to cover. If you are searching, if you want to know if the Bible is really what it says it is, you got to read it. You got you to gotta read it for yourself. Examine it. Evaluate it. Don't just rely on books written by people who don't believe in Jesus. Right? Okay, go ahead. Read them, but read the Bible. Read the Bible. <laughs> Yeah, it's not fair. You're reading the critics, but you're not re reading what's being criticized. And you will find this to be true. It is coherent and unified, and that's because there's one divine author, author of the Bible. Now, it is reliable. It's the Word of God. It is reliable because God is reliable. He who preserves and maintains the universe has been and continues to maintain and preserve the Bible. And um, we have, what do we have? We then ask, what has God done? What has God provided to show us that he has indeed preserved the Bible? Well, we have an abundant provision of Bible manuscripts. In the Old Testament alone, we have more than 14,000 manuscripts of the Old Testament. More than 14,000. Wow. Approximately 10,000 are from what's called the Cairo Geniza. Geniza just means a storeroom. It was found in 1897, and they date back as far as about AD 800. So those uh, manuscripts, the 10,000, they were, those copies, they were written around AD 800. But something happened later on. What's called in what's called the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were found in 1947 and to 1955, and there, in the in the caves of Qumran, we have 190, 190 manuscripts and fragments of the Old Testament, and they they date back way back up to the, the up to 200 BC. So the oldest of those manuscripts that we have 
They date back to 250 to 200 BC. And aside from that, we have at least 4,314 assorted older copies of the Bible. Now, check this out. The Old Testament was completed around 400 BC. Around 400 BC. The last chapter, last verse of the Bible, Old Testament, was written. Okay? Now, the first extensive copies of the Old Testament that we have are, are dated about 250 BC. So we're talking about um, 150 years from the time of the writing, the, the completion of the writing of the Old Testament, 150 years later, we have our first copy, right, that we have. Of course, many copies have been lost, but the one that we have, the oldest that we have, uh, the, the, date, the date from the original to the, the oldest copy is only 150 years. This is what Walter Kaiser says. Walter Kaiser, I think the name dropped, but that's Walter Kaiser. <laughs> he says this, The Dead Sea Scrolls gave us some 800 manuscripts of every book, in part or the whole, of the Old Testament, except for Esther. Prior to that, the earliest Hebrew text dated to around AD 1000. But the scrolls at Qumran, those are the Dead Sea Scrolls, they are generally more than 1,000 years older. You see that? More than 1,000 years older. These Hebrew texts illustrate that a 1,000 years of copying had provided us with an amazingly pure text, with one of the best examples being the book of Isaiah, where only three words had slight modifications. Did you get that? So we had these manuscripts, uh, but they were, uh, they, we, we, they were written, they were made uh, AD 800, AD 800, before the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, AD 800, okay? So, so they, ah, oh, it's not reliable. But then they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Dead Sea Scrolls date back to 200, right? 200 to 250 B.C., so now those are the oldest manuscripts that we have. Now they compared the Dead Sea Scrolls, the manuscripts of the Dead Sea Scrolls with the ones that we have, the, what's called the Masoretic Text. And it's amazing how similar they are. They are, they are the same. They are the same. The differences were very minimal. And he gives us the example of the book of Isaiah. Only three words had slight modifications. The Old Testament is reliable. The Old Testament is reliable. It's been confirmed. Now, how about the New Testament? We possess over 5,800 manuscripts or portions of the Greek New Testament. These are the, the Greek New Testament. Again, remember, the New Testament was also translated in Latin, in Syriac. So we have thousands of manuscripts of the New Testament today. And uh, just the Greek alone, we have 
5,800 of those. Almost 800 of them, of those 5,800, were copied before AD 1000. Pretty recent, right? So the time between the writing of the original and our earliest copies is 60 years or so. The time when the originals were written and the time uh, of the, the date of the copies that we have, the oldest copies that we have, it's only 60 years. Now let's compare that to ancient writings. Um, like, how do you say this? Herodotus. <laughs> and Thucydides. Okay? And they wrote their books around 500 B.C. The, we only have eight copies of those. Can you imagine that? We only have eight copies of those, and those copies are dated A.D. 900. And nobody questions them. Nobody says, oh, Herodotus and Thucydides, they're unreliable. Nobody says that, right? Nobody questions them. But that's 1,300 years gap between the writing of the original and the oldest copy that we have. 1,300 years. Wow. And we say it's reliable. Yeah. What about uh, Thucydides? I'm getting it now. Thucydides. 1,000 years. And we only have 20 copies of those. Caesar's Gallic War. 950 years from the writing of the original to the oldest copy that we have. And we only have 9 to 10 copies of those. Livy's Roman history, 900 years from the time of the writing of the original to the oldest copy that we have. And we only have 20 copies of those. Now let's compare that to the New Testament. See? <laughs> See? Yeah? So, New Testament, written between 400 to 180. The oldest copy that we have is 125 AD. The oldest fragment that we have. The complete copy, the oldest complete copy is 350 AD. Dated 350 AD. So, from the writing of the originals, New Testament books, to the copies, the oldest copies, there's only 60 to 310 years. Yeah? It is reliable. It is reliable. Now, you ask them, well, and, and there are many books that, that say, oh, those 5,800 copies have variants. They have variants. They have variations. They, are, they differ from one another. And, and, and we, yeah, that is true. Actually, there are, can you guess how many variants of the, 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 how many variants we have in the New Testament manuscripts? A lot. 400,000, more than, more than 400,000 variants. Okay, so that's a lot. So one, one uh, manuscript has, says this, it this way, and another manuscript says it this way. That's variants, okay? But then, if we examine it closer, what kind of variants are they, right? Because if you just go by, oh, see, 400,000, and, and there are those in Cambridge who even say 500,000 
variants. There are 500,000 variants in the New Testament manuscripts. So you just go by that, you go, ah, the Bible is not reliable. But then you have to ask, right, what kind of variants? Are they significant or are they insignificant? Right? And this is what we find. 99% of those variants cannot be translated. They're either misspellings. So how do you translate a misspelling, right? Yeah? Like John, for example, the name John. It's written in two different ways. Uh, one example that Daniel Wallace uh, gives um, in his lectures is that uh, you can write John loves Mary a thousand times, uh, a thousand different ways in Greek. Did you get that? John loves Mary, right? In English, John loves Mary. But if you write that in Greek, you can write it a thousand different ways or more. Because you have articles, you have conjunctions, positioning is not important. You have subject, object. So, that's why we have variants. They're not really significant. Most of them are misspellings, grammar, gra differences in grammar, clearly scribal errors. They are not significant. Less than 1% are significant. Some say that less than 1% is um, a fourth of 1%. So, 0.25%. Or a fifth of 1%, so 0.2%. They are significant, but they do not affect the, the essentials of the Christian faith. They don't change. Those, those variants don't change the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of the deity and humanity of Christ, the Bible as the Word of God, Jesus' death and resurrection for sinners, Salvation by faith alone, etc. Those variants do not change or affect any of the essentials of the Christian faith. Bart Ehrman has made a lot of money with his book, Miscoding Jesus. A lot of people have read it. And he, he says that we cannot ascertain the originals from the manuscripts that we have, despite of the plenty, thousands of manuscripts of the New Testament that we have, he says that it is unreliable. We cannot ascertain the originals. And he made a lot of money, and thousands of people have left the Christian faith when they read that. Thousands of people left the Christian faith reading Bart Ehrman's Misquoting Jesus. Now, so at first they write the Misquoting Jesus was in, in um, the hardbound right, uh, copies, when they uh, published the paper-bound copies of Miscoding Jesus, they included an appendix, right, so people will buy it, so they, they, they added an appendix. In that appendix, they uh, interviewed Ehrman, and this is what he says in that interview. Can, you, can we go back? The essential Christian beliefs are not affected by textual variants in the manuscripts, in the manuscript tradition of the New Testament. This is a person who do not believe that the Bible is reliable. 
And yet he says that the essential Christian beliefs are not affected by textual variants of the New Testament manuscripts. He has to admit it. So in the appendix, he goes against everything that he wrote about in the book. It's mind-boggling, but he has to admit this. Now, um, we can also ask, okay, so we have so many manuscripts. We have, uh, we can ascertain the, uh, the originals from this using textual criticism. But uh, what about uh, what are those kinds of variants? Can we, can we have some examples of them? Now, um, I've given you, I think we should go back. I've given you um, the example of differences in spelling, but uh, for, for the significant ones, uh, we have examples like Mark 9.29, where Jesus cast out a demon. And then the disciples couldn't do it, but Jesus was able to do it. And they said, how? How come you were able to cast it out? And we can't. And Jesus said, this kind comes out only by prayer. Only by prayer. The oldest manuscripts have prayer. But some, early, some later manuscripts add fasting. So that's a variant, right? Some manuscripts say just prayer. Some add and fasting. But then, uh, of course, you go with the, the, old, the older ones and the shorter one. You go, oh, maybe fasting was added by pietists later on. But what, what does it change? Whether it is prayer, just prayer, or prayer and fasting, does that change the doctrine of the Trinity? Does that change the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? It doesn't, right? The same thing with Revelation 13, 18. Some manuscripts say the number of the beast is 666. But some say 616. Which is which? I don't know. Right? But does that change any of the essentials of the Christian faith? Whether the number of the beast is 666 or 616. So some theologians, they say, oh, the number of the beast is 666. And 616 is the neighbor of the beast right? <laughs> it, it doesn't affect any of our major doctrines. Now, Mark has a shorter ending and also has a longer ending. The shorter one is to be preferred, I believe, but does that change the, the essentials? No. So the same thing with the story of the adulterous woman, right? He, she was caught in adultery, and, and Moses says she should be stoned to death. And Jesus said, if you, any of you does not have sin, then you have to uh, throw the first stone. So, it is whether that part of the scripture, John 7, 53 to 8, 11, is there or not, it doesn't change the doctrines of the scripture. Because there are other parts of the Bible that tells us and teaches us that Jesus forgives sins, Right? There are other parts of the scripture that tell us that Jesus forgives sin. So those are the kinds of variants that we have. Now, finally, let us jump to number three. The Bible is reliable because it is the living word of the living God. 
The Bible is reliable because it is the word of the living God. Remember 1 Thessalonians 2.13? The Thessalonians received and accepted and believed the preaching of the apostles as the word of God. And Paul says this, the word of God is at work in us believers. That's why I said early, uh, earlier, the Bible is self-authenticating. It will prove itself to be true in your heart, in your mind, in your life. Because it is the word of God. It is living. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. It is living and active. And so again, we need to uh, place ourselves in a posture of humility and say, God, I have these doubts, I have these questions, but I'm just a human being, and I need your help. If you don't believe in God, you say, if you are real, God, help me. If you are real, God, help me. God, show me. And when you read the Bible, say this. Holy Spirit, you, you who, who the Bible says inspired the writing of the Bible, if you are real, open my eyes, open my heart. Help me to understand the Bible. And the Bible is the living Word of God. It is self-authenticating. It will prove itself to be true. Everything that it says is true. All the promises of God, they are true. God will accomplish everything that he promised in his word, in your life, in your family. Now, if you're a believer, you can be sure of this. You can stand on the solid rock of the Bible, the word of God. Amen? Now, we will have questions. Um, we will have questions and answers. And later on, you can come to us here. And, and if you have questions, we'll try our best to answer them. You can, I also encourage you to keep coming to church. Keep coming to church and learn and ask God for help. If you are real, help me. And we also have small groups. You are more than welcome to join our small groups and learn more about the Word of God. I used to be a drug addict. Nothing can help me. Nothing can save me. Nothing can set me free from the slavery of drug addiction. And I was going insane. I thank God that with his help, I gave my life to him. And I started reading the Bible, and that transformed my life. It's been more than 30 years, and God has proven himself to be true and faithful to me and my family and the church. And I pray that he will, and I know he will do the same thing for you. Amen? Amen and amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, your presence with us. God Almighty, thank you for the brothers and sisters with us this morning. Lord, uh, we are on a journey with you. Some of us probably don't believe your word or studying, is starting to disbelieve or struggling in their faith or um, just questioning, have doubts, or they're going through things and they have plenty of questions in their hearts and they're troubled. And uh, Lord, we just thank you because you are real. We thank you because you live. And we thank you because you are not far from us. Be near to your people, oh God. Meet them where they are 
even those who do not believe in you. We pray for your patience and kindness towards them. And uh, we, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would prove yourself to be true and, and uh, give us faith. And those of us who have faith in you, strengthen and grow our faith in Jesus. We give you praise. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We have great questions. And uh, thank you for sending your questions. We will try our best to uh, answer them with the time that we have. First questions. First question. Aren't there historical inaccuracies in the Bible? For example, in the Gospels, differing accounts of the same stories. Wouldn't that suggest that it's an errant historical record? Um, so I can speak to this. Uh, so uh, the Gospels in particular, whenever you're reading a text, you have to ask, uh, what kind of text is this? And when you're looking at the Gospels, you're looking at um, ancient biography. It's a unique genre. And um, even with modern biography, when, when you're reading a modern biography, authors sometimes arrange things not chronologically, but topically. Uh, they put things in, into different orders for the purpose of what they're trying to accomplish. And so when you're looking at uh, books like the Gospels that do have different orders and events, and some include some things and leave other things out, um, they're, not, they're not all exactly identical, but they're complementary in, in what they're presenting and the overall picture that they're putting forth. And so I, I would just encourage you to, um, you know, on this one, th there's a ton that you can say about the, the whole of the Bible, but generally um, archaeology, hist historical research has, has backed up what the Bible claims historically uh, and has uh, validated the Bible over and over again. And in the places where there remain questions, uh, as more research comes out, it generally affirms what we see in, in the Bible. So uh, historically, um, it's, it's pretty consistent, and there's a strong case to be made there. Amen. Second question. What about books? Oh, sorry. A book cannot testify to its own, to its own truth. Just because the Bible says something is true doesn't prove that it actually is true. Please explain. Yeah, so uh, that's, that's a good question. And again, uh, we have to answer these quick. We got a bunch of them. So I'd love to talk more with, uh, on this question. A book cannot testify its own truth. It's kind of tricky, kind of vague. Um, every, every book written is trying to testify to its truth. Like pick up a logic book. You, you don't pick that up if, you think, if the author thinks it's not true. Right, so it's a little bit vague there. But secondly, as Clem talked about today, um, there's the internal coherence of the Bible. Does the story make sense? It's written by all these authors over all this period of time. Does it make sense to itself? Does it correspond to reality? Does it make sense of the reality that we live in? And is it uh, existentially, does it make sense of the human experience that we live? So Clem talked about three different ways that the Bible is shown to be pr uh, true. It, authentifi it authentifies itself. It makes sense of reality. And it makes sense of the human condition. So uh, his claim was not just the Bible says it's true, so it's true. Ultimately, we do believe that. Um, but there's also great evidences for that as well. I'd love to talk more about that. Amen. Next question. What about books that were excluded from the Bible? Example, the Gospel of Thomas. Why were they excluded and how do we know there isn't any truth in them? Yeah, um, so the, the Bible that we have, the, um, the Old Testament that we have, uh, the 39 books of the Old Testament, 
that's the Bible Jesus read. That's the Bible that, that was in use in the first century among Jews everywhere. And so that's why the Old Testament is what it is. The New Testament, the uh, 27 books of the New Testament that are included in the Protestant Bible today, um, those books are in there because they were universally accepted by the early church within the first century during the lifetime of eyewitnesses of the events. And so when you get to things like the Gospel of Thomas and you hear about the Gnostic Gospels and other, um, there's a bunch of writings like that that are out there. All of those things are second century. They're, they're much later chronologically. Um, they're very different in content from what you would read in something like the four canonical Gospels. Um, they were never accepted by the early church. They were in fringe movements, and, uh, and they happened after the lifetime of the eyewitnesses of the events. The Gospels we have in the Bible, they were all written during the lifetime of the people who were actually there who could say, yes, that happened, or no, it didn't happen. With the second century and later Gospels like Thomas, that's just not the case. You can't make that argument. Thank you, Jamie. Next question is this. The Bible, canon, was compiled by, human, by humans over hundreds of years. There is a Jewish Bible, a Catholic Bible, and a Protestant Bible. How can we say that God wrote it? Which one is the true Bible? Yeah, so I just spoke to this a little bit, and if you guys want to fill in some gaps too. Um, so the Jewish Bible, Christians believe the Jewish Bible and uh, accept it. It's, it's in your Bibles. If you open up your Bible, you got the Jewish Bible in there. Um, the Catholic and Protestant Bible, the difference is the Apocrypha. Um, the Apocrypha is a series of books that is included in Catholic Bibles that is not included in Protestant Bibles generally. Um, the Apocrypha it was written between 400 AD when the Old Testament canon closed and, uh, and uh, the turn of the millennium when the time of Jesus came. It's books from, from that period of time that by Jewish people, even in the first century, were never seen as scripture. Uh, Jesus did not see those books as scripture. The early church did not see those books as scripture from God. Um, it was, they viewed them as history books, as a, as a record of what had happened in those, that four century period. And uh, it was added into the Catholic Bible much later, um, around 1000 AD, um, to uh, support different certain doctrines that had come to be believed by the Catholic Church over uh, the first thousand years after Christ. And so it was never seen as scripture until much later, and that's why it's included in Catholic Bibles and not in Protestant Bibles. But the, with all that said, in, in Catholic and Protestant Bibles, those 27 books are in all of them, and those are universally accepted by all Christians everywhere around the world as uh, God's Word. And so that's Old Testament, New Testament. Yeah. The 66 books of the Protestant Bible are there in yeah. the Catholic Bible. And the, the, Jew, the Jewish Bible is our Old Testament. Okay, next question. The question was posed, is the Bible re reliable? We were told yes, because God is reliable. But isn't it the Bible which teaches us that God is reliable? If this is the case, how, how are we not just running in circles with this thesis? Yeah, another great question. Very great um, question. <laughs> And, and this is similar to the, the one I addressed earlier. Um, when you think about an authority structure, we all have the highest authority. Uh, someone who doesn't believe the Bible has the highest authority. Someone who believes the Bible has a highest authority. Um, if you don't believe the Bible, what is your authority? By what are you holding everything? Uh, what standard are you holding? Um, if, if it's not the Bible, it's going to be reason. It's going to be science. And so you ask them, hey, how do you know that your reason is working properly? And they say, well, my senses confirm it. And you say, well, how do you know your senses are working properly? And they say, because my reason. Right? So we see it at the ultimate foundational level, there is a circularity in authority. 
Because if you said, this is my highest authority, and then you go to a different authority to justify it, that's clearly not your highest authority. And so we as Christians say the Bible is our highest authority, but it's not just this bare circle. The Bible's true because the Bible's true because the Bible's true. We say the Bible's true, and it makes sense of the world that we live in, and it makes sense of the experience that I have in the world, and it makes sense of my existential personal experience. And because I believe the Bible, I can make sense of reality. And if I don't believe the Bible, am I still able to make sense of reality? And so it's, it's deeper than that, but circularity on ultimate foundations is not a problem. We all have to do that as humans. Um, I, I recognize that's tricky. That might seem too slick. Come talk to me. I, I love this question. Amen. Yes. Next, how can we know the Bible is closed and finished with Revelation? Why don't we consider scriptures that claim divine direction from folks like Muhammad of Islam, Joseph Smith, Mormonism, or Mary Baker, Eddie of Christian Science? Um, okay, so uh, these three examples, there, there are lots of people, lots of books in the world that claim divine inspiration. Um, you have to look at what they actually teach, though. And based on the arguments that have kind of been put forward today and others, if you believe that the Old and New Testaments, 66 books there, that that is God's word, then when you get to these things, when you look at what Muhammad teaches in uh, the Quran and Islam, um, it's a very different teaching that contradicts the things that you're going to see in the books of the Old and New Testaments. Um, it's contradictory. So one, they can't both be true at the same time. And so if the Bible is the word of God, then the Quran is not. Uh, Joseph Smith and Mormonism, same thing. He, went into, a, uh, he went, in, went into a dark room in a basement and went behind a curtain and some guy wrote down what he said and that's where he got the Book of Mormon from. He claimed there were golden spectacles that he looked through, and that's how, how he knew how to understand these golden tablets that he apparently found that no one has to this day. So um, on Mormonism, you have some kind of wacky claims that were made by one guy who wrote this book, and they're very different from what you get in the Old and New Testaments. And Mary Baker Eddy, uh, Christian science is like grape nuts. It la grape nuts, you know, it's a cereal that doesn't have grapes or nuts, and uh, Christian science has neither Christians nor scientists. So same kind of thing, all right? <laughs> sure. um, also, we think about uh, how do we know that it's done. Think of the book of Galatians. And Paul warns us, you know, if anyone comes after me preaching a different gospel, let him be anathema, let him be cut off. And so what we see in these other religions that are based on Christianity but twist it, and that's exactly what Paul said. So we should know it's coming. We see them here. And so we take Paul at his word and we say that is a different gospel. Amen. Next question. You have provided powerful evidence for believers of the reliability of Scripture. The evidence, however, is easily refuted by secular experts. I think you should be transparent and acknowledge this. It's a question or an accusation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the question. That's, uh, that's valid. Uh, but I, I came to the United States with my family for many reasons, but... A major one was to study the Bible in the original languages and also to learn textual criticism. So I know how to read and translate from Hebrew to English and from Greek to English. And uh, I completed my master's um, in that, and I'm now doing my doctorate at Trinity Evangelical. And I have, I have looked at uh, the data, especially preparing for this, and um, it's reliable. I... I, I cannot be convinced otherwise 
Uh, there are variants, but again, I showed that it's not significant. And we can really ascertain what the originals, the originals were through the copies, the thousands of copies that we have, if, if, if we just keep an open mind. And uh, I think the ball is with those who doubt the Bible, that they have to disprove the Bible. Yeah, and in the defense of Clem, he quoted Bart Ehrman, who if you don't know, he's, he's the secular giant for coming at the reliability, reliability of scripture. And he even quoted Bart Ehrman saying, yeah, the, the Christian doctrines from the scripture, they can be believed. They're reliable from that. So the, this, this question kind of comes at him a little bit, but he did a great job of quoting from one of the best uh, anti-theistic, anti-Christian scholars of today. So yeah, I think you did a great job on that. Yes. But if you have more questions, let's talk. Come, come down here and we'll, I'll pray for you. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Can you speak about the relevancy of the Bible to today's society? It seems as though an ancient manuscript formed thousands of years ago such as the Bible, would lose a lot of relevancy to a person's life, and one could possibly argue that more contemporary material, Christian or non-Christian, could be more useful to guiding someone's life. Here, here's what I'll say on that. Um, you have a choice to make about where you're going to look for guidance in life. You can look to the 280-character tweets that scroll through your phone that somebody thought of yesterday, or you can look to ancient wisdom that has been compiled, filtered, uh, and ha has endured through generations as people have looked to it and gained tremendous wisdom for life from it. Right? You have a choice to make on that. And when you look at the Bible, what you're getting, if, if what we're claiming here today is for real, like if it is the word of God, if God has spoken in it, then, then you have a source for wisdom and guidance in life that's going to transcend every cultural moment, every era of history, every generation that you find yourself in. And so that book is going to call you out in some areas because no culture has it perfect, no era, no generation has it perfect. Everybody misses the mark in some way. So that book's going to call you out in some areas. It's also going to commend you in some areas. It's going to say, hey, like you've gotten this right. You've noticed some things in the world that are right. But you should, you should go to it expecting that you're going to hear someone, you're going to enter into a relationship with the living God who's going to be able to speak into your life in a way that's going to challenge you and commend you, call you up and call you to be all that he created you to be. And so I would encourage you to go to, the, go to that book instead of going to, to whatever feed you got on your social media.